0: being role models this is Terry Bollea like a wild man as Kidman dropped down in the oh! the dumpster it was crushed repeatedly repeatedly by Hogan by Terry Bollea by a man possessed Just... by a member of the Millionaire's Club taking it right to the new blood Here we go. oh this is a terrible thing For years, Hogan crushed the careers of people like Kidman, and now he's literally crushed Kidman! It's a slot fan! Oh! Welcome to day number five in the unbelievable title reign of new world champion, David Arquette! The Yabba Pioneer Strap Match Jack! Judy Bagwell on a pole match! You and Billy uh, Kidman, Bagwell on a pole match! On Nitro, I prove to the entire world that at any given time I could become the WCW champion. That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this.
1: this, 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 this. Welcome to Keep It Two Thousand, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate. I... I think i'm over this experiment uh we've crossed into the dark side and i i just want to go home we're officially in russo land and i guess the thing that's making me extra kind of vulnerable and scared is that i did this and you weren't here last week i had to take this this dark scary journey without you it has been a couple weeks since we've spoken and a lot has changed
0: yeah well see first of all you know my my apologies to the listeners but in my defense, I did leave a message with uh, Jesse 2.0, our our onboard AI system, to let you know that I was responding to Wei Ting's distress call. So I had to go back to 2017 and, and record an episode of review a raw with Wei, And 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 then while I was there, I got hung up, you know, visiting with the family and watching Spider Man and and just enjoying the life of the present. That, that it was hard to come back to the past. So you know, I apologize for not being here in your moment of need, but. Uh, i'm here this week so that's what counts
1: now real quick i don't want to go too deep into it but i just want your quick thoughts on and it's tough to say that but your quick thoughts on the massive epic episode that you weren't able to be here for the vince russo episode thumbs up thumbs down did you enjoy it how does it compare to the kevin sullivan episodes
0: (laughs) i think it certainly was uh was a lot more interesting than the kevin sullivan episodes i'll give it that one point in its favor uh but there was a lot of things that, A, didn't make sense, and then the things that might have made sense in a different context were rushed, like the Shane Douglas thing or the Mike Awesome thing. There were, thing, there were some seeds there for some interesting and creative ideas, but I felt that it was just, everything was microwave, everything was fast-forward, and at the end of the day, it was a spectacle. It was a car crash, but there wasn't a whole lot of meat on that bone once you got through with the hour you know there wasn't a lot of retention of what we just watched so uh i i again i'm i'm uh i'm sorry that i wasn't here to go over that episode with you but in a way i'm 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 happy because (laughs) uh i got to hear your thoughts uh about what went down in that episode and and you know have somebody explain it to me because after i watched the episode i still wasn't sure what i just watched
1: how foolish did you feel that we spent months Just waiting for Vince Russo to take back over the show because Kevin Sullivan was so boring.
0: I mean, this episode wasn't – that episode wasn't boring. Right. It just didn't make any damn sense. Gotcha. I I guess it's like pick your poison because the Kevin Sullivan episodes, they made more sense. There were some more logical booking choices, but they were boring and they were formulaic. So do you want boring and formulaic or do you want uh, crazy and unpredictable and nonsensical?
1: Well, that's a good thing that this experiment has allowed us to do. It's allowed us to look at these things in context. We can compare them to the Kevin Sullivan stuff. This isn't just taking one YouTube clip out of context and talking about how shitty it is. We're able to compare it. Okay, was this necessarily at the time, was this relaunch a good thing or a bad thing based on where the product was? Not just taking the one episode and saying, oh, it's so crazy, Mike Awesome's here. Instead saying, okay, how does this actually fit into the overall framework of where this company was? And, And that's why I'm so happy that Joining us this week is actually our first repeat test subject, but you guys, you hear his work every single week on the show because he composes our theme song. Chris Urbanovich is back with us. How are you doing, buddy? <laughs> Hi, pretty good. How are you doing? Oh, uh, not not too bad. You know, we're here to talk about this episode of Nitro. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm just curious, uh, you were here last time, obviously for a very lengthy Kevin Sullivan episode, a three-hour episode that we did not know in advance when he asked to do the show. Length aside not throwing everything away from the review just yet do you think this is an improvement on what you saw before
2: so you want the conclusion at the start i like that um so yeah as i said it was as you said i should say it was an hour less which made it a lot easier uh one thing i do have to say i started watching it at midday today and literally five minutes after i started watching it the heavens opened that was the biggest storm i've ever heard in upstate new york it was crazy and i'm not i don't believe in stuff like that but it, it was starting to make me believe because right at the end of the hour and a half it stopped raining and i was i managed to take my dog out who you might hear actually um, in the background so if, if you do hear a wolf then it's not me or my wife um it's my dog um but how, how did it compare you know what it's dank of russo and i mean this in the nicest possible way not what do i uh, there was a lot of um, backstage stuff. There was a lot of ADD going on. There wasn't much wrestling. Let's leave it at that for now. And then I don't want to give any spoilers away.
1: Well, there we go. We have we have waited too long. We have to. Uh, at this point, we know how everyone is in the year 2017. Let's dive in the year 2000 and see if things and see how things are going now first off let's look at the news of the day before we get into this nitro nate do you know what monumental moment in black history happened two days after this nitro
0: Hmm. a monumental day in black history uh there's so many ways i could go with this Uh, (laughs) i'll say let's see knowing your sensibilities brian man uh, was would this be the uh, release date for one of the Friday movies? It
1: was Nate. We already had one Friday movie in January. They're not doing these things every four months. <laughs> it might have been the v, the VHS release of it. I, I don't know. I didn't check that information.
0: With with special deleted scenes? No. Uh, uh,
1: two days after this episode, the first issue of O Magazine was released on newsstands.
0: Ah. Now which I which is I mean, fitting because this uh, this this. Episode of Nitro took place uh, right outside of uh, Queen Oprah's uh, hometown. That's true.
1: I've never read an episode. Uh, I've never read an issue of O
0: Magazine. Have you? I have not, but I <laughs> might have been inclined to if uh, instead of Oprah on every cover, like they threw in a NWO 2000. That was cover. the
1: oddest choice. Was that Oprah was on every cover, just doing something different? <laughs> I, I thought that was a very bold choice. Uh, see, here's the thing. There's two big news stories that happened this year. One was that O Magazine was launched, and the other was that John Rocker's suspension was up. And I figured it'd be better to give Oprah some, some love rather than John Rocker, uh, although we did discuss him earlier.
0: I mean, and, and now in 2017, Oprah's got her own network. Like mm-hmm. Oprah, is, uh, Oprah got a president elected, uh, if, if you want to believe that, uh, eight years ago. So.
1: And John Rocker got a president elected this year, so there you go. That's pretty great. <laughs> now uh Chris I didn't ask you but I'm going to go ahead and assume you you never read an ep- you never read an issue of O magazine. I haven't actually heard of it. No. We didn't get it- that in England. So instead I'm going to pivot to you and bring up the number one song in America. It's going to be a while before we can do this one again because what I'm about to say is this song is number one for like 3 straight months. <laughs> it is Santana's Maria Maria. <laughs>
2: I don't know that one, and maybe I'll recognize it. I'll listen to it after the show. I'm not going to stop the show just to listen to it. Maybe one of those ones where yeah, you don't know the name of the song, but you know the actual song. So I'm
1: I don't want to put him on the spot, on I'm,
0: but I'm I'm pretty sure Nate no. could
2: sing it for us right now.
0: Go on, Nate. I mean, I mean, I don't want to you know show out, but uh, Maria, Maria, she remind me of a Spanish Harlem. To the sounds of a guitar. Wait for it. Here comes. Okay. Played by Carlos Santana. Yeah, he he shouts out himself in it. So now, do you remember it? And uh, he's he's joined by the product G and B and and Wyclef Jean. Yep.
2: Now do you remember it, Chris? It might not have played as well across
1: the so It might not have gone over.
2: Having said that, I can understand it being a hit because I mean, may have just been the performance or uh, that Nate performed just f- just for me apparently which you know <laughs> is maybe a little bit excited um, or you <laughs> can see that I'm sitting here on my own um, should we move on
1: <laughs> I think people at home are thinking the exact same thing they want to get in and they want to stick and they want to hear us discuss this april 17th episode of nitro
0: eric bischoff and Vince russo have stacked the deck in favor of the new blood at the first round matchup in the tag team title tournament
1: so our show begins with recaps from spring stampede the night before which saw a host of new champions a man cow jimmy Hart match the debut of tammy sitch the return of chronic and a kimberly page heel turn nate did this make you want to go back and revisit spring stampede or be honest with me did you
0: I mean, I was, I can't lie, I was tempted to go back and watch Man Cow versus Jimmy Hart, <laughs> because why Why in the hell was that match I love booked? that they dropped every I don't, I don't other
1: storyline from before the invasion, uh, or before the <laughs> reboot, but they could not abandon that one. Man Cow had a contract,
0: and they had to do that match. I mean, once once you book Man Cow Muller, you're, you're, you're locked in, man. That, that's a high-quality talent. Uh, but no, I, I was not intrigued uh, to go back and check out this show. Uh, I think just a little slideshow they did off the top. That well, that was enough to satiate me.
2: Wait, Mankow is the um. You'll have to help me out here. He's the Chicago DJ, right?
0: Yep, he's he's kind of like a uh, Chicago Howard Stern, just not as good.
2: Okay, so it is the same guy. I did his show once, and it was an oven I had to go. I remember we were on a tour bus and we went overnight, and our um, PR guy woke me up and our singer up at like six in the morning to go and do his morning show and we were fucking angry as you can imagine because you know our schedule is we wake up at midday so we got early to the studio like 6.30 or something and he, he knew he, was, he knew we were there and he's like oh hi guys yeah you'll be on in a second an hour and a half later and we're just like I- I'm gonna go wow. we've got to go this is ridiculous and then he brings us out doesn't even apologise and just sets up we play and then we fuck off and just go back to bed and I remember waking up at 3pm for sound check just like it, it was just like the rudest thing ever but that's my man-cow story.
0: See, now, if you had known about this match, though, you could have bonded with him over over WCW.
2: I was in no mood to, to converse with anyone at that time. I'd had, like, four hours sleep, and at that time, I was a little bit uh, on the party side of things, can we say. So I wasn't really in the mood. If it was an afternoon session, I would have loved to have had a chat with him about Jimmy Hart. I had no idea he was a wrestler. Well, not a wrestler, but had a match. <laughs> Uh, I feel like
1: if you had known in advance, though, you probably would have been anticipating this for weeks, knowing that you're going to be meeting. You probably want to hear some Jimmy Hart
2: stories. Absolutely. No, I mean, if somebody had actually mentioned it to me, then it would have been okay. I would have got up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, but it wasn't to be.
1: So hmm. our show proper starts with images backstage of security guards posted at every single entrance, ensuring the Millionaire's Club cannot enter the building.
0: Sure yeah, yeah. And 24 hours removed from the new the blood reigning that, supreme, it's Monday Nitro. Whatever, man, no one's going to get this door. Oh, it is locked Security has I've sealed off the guys, entrance tonight. Bishop and Russo have to stated that based on their success, it's a fight guest
1: only party. In the arena, Tony welcomes us to Rockford, Illinois as confetti falls from the ceiling. Russo and the new blood come to the ring surrounded by a riot squad. A comical amount of balloons are then let loose from the ceiling. (laughs) There are easily more balloons than people in this building. They come to a wide shot. You can't even see the people in the ring. It is just all red balloons. Celebrating with Vince are all of the New Blood champions. Tag champs Buff Bagwell and Shane Douglas, U.S. champ Scott Steiner, and cruiserweight champ Chris Candido. Vince Russo gets the mic and insults the crowd, bragging about all the gold the New Blood has. Rather than booing, the crowd, though, spends his entire promo popping balloons. It sounded as though we were at a firing range this entire time. He says only one belt got away yesterday, the hardcore title which Terry Funk now holds. Russo then goes on a totally needless Jim Ross rant. Russo then introduces the world champion Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett comes to the ring, and he delivers his own rant about JR as well.
0: And I just want to say one thing. To that announcer sitting in State College, Pennsylvania. Good old JR. You can kiss my ass.
1: Jarrett is pissed that he wasn't asked to be in Ready to Rumble while not mentioning the fact that he'd worked in a different company when Ready to Rumble was being filmed. This leads to Jarrett challenging DDP to a three-tier cage match at Slambury. So at this point, they then bring out Kimberly Page. But let's stop because there's a lot more to discuss at that point. What did we think about this promo up until now? Uh, I thought the performances here were fine. It just seems like a real weird waste of your time that everything is so breakneck here. And this like this segment on Raw today would take 20 minutes. They're doing it
2: here in five.
1: But they spent half their time on Jim Ross.
2: Yeah. Um, well, they also both, like Russo and Jeff Jarrett, both uh, uh, told uh, Jim Ross to kiss their ass. It's like you've got to mix up your insults here, guys. And the things. Well, when that they would were, become uh, WWE programming three years later. <laughs> of course, of course. That, that was long-term long booking. <laughs> right. Um, but like one of the things when they were introducing the the um, the, the champions, there was a cruiserweight champion, so and so, the tag team champions, the U.S. champion, and it was like, I don't know what's going on. You see, because I haven't been paying attention. And it's like, please don't be Jarrett. Please don't be Jarrett. Please don't be Jarrett.
0: Fuck! And then out
2: comes <laughs> Jeff fucking Jarrett. I'm like, no. I couldn't believe it. I was like, who else is it going to be? You know, it's it me, me. my fault for being stupid, I guess.
0: <laughs> I think my favorite part of this whole segment, at least up to this point, uh, besides the, the ridiculous amount of balloons making this look like the end of the RNC convention, uh, was when Jared started talking. My favorite thing was just looking at how each of the members of the New Blood were reacting to his 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 first public address as champion. And you had Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell talking about something in the corner, probably talking about the steakhouse they were going to after the match or, or what rats were in the audience. Uh, then you've got Tammy Sitch. For some reason, I, she might have been listening to Carlos Santana because she was doing her best version of like a little samba. <laughs> While Chris, Candi- Chris Candido just kind of stood there like I, I, I don't, I don't know what she's doing. And then, <laughs> well, Tammy's body might have been in the ring, but I don't think her mind was. Yes, and then you had Russo just kind of, you know, doing his Russo thing in the background. So you got all of these people doing a different segment than Jeff Jarrett, who should be the focus of the. Well, segment. it
1: also felt like it should have been something that instead of running down Jeff uh, Jim Ross, built up to Jeff Jarrett coming out. Like maybe each of the champions got to talk for. 30 seconds or something like that, get each of them over because uh, we're not going to see Candido again tonight. This is the only appearance of him. So maybe let all these guys cut some sort of promo
2: celebrating their, their win and get some sort of heat on them. AKA Brian Mann wants to hear Buff Bagwell speak for the next 10 minutes. Oh, come on. (laughs) <laughs> we're
1: you and I are going to talk about Buff Bagel for ten minutes at some point later in the show. It's it's criminal that he wasn't on the last episode that you came on for, and we're we got our time, we we got weight. it coming up. Yeah, let's get back to that. Yeah, later. Now, of course, the world champion is not the star of this segment, as Eric Bischoff then brings out Kimberly Page on commentary. The announcers tell us that her heel turn makes no sense. Bischoff says that he already told DDP that he made him and he can break him. Kim, struggling to remember her lines, says that last night was the end of a 15-year relationship. Now, guys, got to pause for a second. Kimberly Page was 31 in the year 2000, meaning that she and DDP started dating when she was 16 years old. Ooh. Does that math work out for you guys?
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm a Jerry Lee Lewis fan, so it doesn't bother me. Also, 16 in England's legal, apparently, so yeah, I'm going to give this one a miss before I get arrested.
0: I mean, I mean, on a show with the with the character on screen of Mark Madden. <laughs> what, what, what's wrong with it?
2: What's wrong with it?
0: You probably met her at a three-count
2: concert. <laughs> Makes sense, doesn't it? Makes sense.
0: Kimberly says she's tired of
1: living in DDP's shadow. Kimberly says those days are over and she's concentrating on her own opportunities. It is heavily implied that she and Bischoff are fucking, but it's clear neither of them feel comfortable in this role. As Bischoff runs down Hogan, DDP, in a fresh... Soprano's T-shirt. He was ahead of the curve on the prestige TV front. Is shown <laughs> arriving outside the building. He beats up some security guards and comes into the building. DDP comes. All right,
0: time out. Time out. Okay. Time yes. Out. Before before we get to the to the meat of this, I just had an observation, and, and I wonder if either of you two had the same thought when uh, Bischoff and Kimberly first come down to the ring. It looked. Mainly Bischoff because he had like the the black shirt and the black slacks like they were cosplaying as uh, Simon Cowell and Paul mm, Abdul.
2: Mm. <laughs> I didn't get it, but I like it a lot. Had
1: American Idol premiered yet? Though I think this might have been like two two or three years before American
0: Idol premiered. I, don't, I don't think I think i you saying purpose. Simon Cowell got the idea from Eric
1: Bischoff. Either that or sense. was was X Factor or was uh uh Britain's Got Talent had that started yet?
2: We had something else and like. Around the same time, yeah, Simon Cowell was... I I really think this is a long shot, though, Nate. I think probably uh, Brian was probably right about Simon Cowell taking his look from Eric Bischoff.
1: So DDP comes on the stage, and the Riot Guards just part, and they allow DDP to slide right in the ring. The New Blood has the numbers advantage until that Riot squad comes into the ring, revealing themselves to be the Millionaire's Club, Sting, Lex Luger, and Ric Flair. The old-timers clear the ring as the New Day as the new day, as the new blood powders to the back. Um, We picked it apart, but I got to say, by the standards of the time, I didn't hate this. This wasn't a bad segment. It got some stuff achieved. Uh, I just wish they'd spent a little bit more time putting over their champions and their storylines than bashing Jim Ross.
2: i burst out laughing. And maybe it was because I saw Luger dressed in riot gear. (laughs) Uh, but I don't know why but I just burst out laughing I have no other explanation for it I agree with you I actually didn't mind that angle too and the way it was worked I kind of like the pacing of it but I don't know why but when the good guys or the millionaires club attacked I started laughing
1: one of the things I thought was so funny though is that so Ric Flair's helmet starts to wobble and almost fall off but it isn't time for the reveal yet so he's he's like with one hand like whipping away with this baton and his other hand is trying to hold the helmet <laughs> on his head because <laughs> he has the biggest hair out of all the guys uh, let, let's,
0: let's just gave up let's let's let it let's fly just, right like, off it.
2: I'm, I'm, that was why that was what uh, <laughs> sort of threw it for me because the first person that i saw was lex and i was like why did they part is this just a wcw being wcw again and then suddenly Luga's in the ring with his ponytail and his guns, and he's just like, "Oh, it's Luger. Okay, this makes sense." And I just, I just find it funny. I just find Luger funny.
0: Yeah. So as far as this, Brian, I'm I'm with you and Chris as well. Like I didn't mind this at all. It it was actually. Some degree of clever. Uh, so, yeah, because I, I think my first thought when DDP slid in the ring, I, I, I had a clever joke teed up, but uh, it was rendered moot by the Millionaire's Club, so I, I'll save that joke for later <laughs> because I'm sure uh, we'll have another run-in with law enforcement on this program.
1: Backstage, Bischoff and Russo yell at members of the New Blood. Chavo Guerrero Jr., Booker, Hugh Morris, Jerry Flynn, Lash LaRue, and Bam Bam Bigelow. Yes, Bam Bam Bigelow is new blood the guy who is less than two years younger than Sting. Russo and Bischoff are pissed that these guys didn't come down to defend him in the opening segment. Booker says that what's going on right now just is a joke. Bischoff, though, insults Booker's glasses before sending everyone out of the room. Bischoff then sends Russo to go book DDP and Mike Awesome in a match tonight. Just as Vince leaves, in comes all the security guards who got beat up by Paige. The guards quit due to their treatment in the opening segment... In the opening segment, leaving the building completely unprotected. Just when it seems like things couldn't get any worse for Bischoff, he gets a phone call from Hulk Hogan. The Hulkster says he'll be kicking Easy es ass in five minutes. Uh, this was the first time we heard Hulk Hogan's voice. It would not be the last. This was a Hulk Hogan show up and down. But I got to say, two segments in a row, I didn't mind this. A lot happened. They established the rules of the, uh, of the night. Kind of unorthodox for a wrestling show, but pretty good for a TV show. And in today's climate and today's wrestling ways, I like that we got a segment that a lot happened in, and I was able to follow all of it.
0: Well, well there's one thing I did mind, and I, I want to get Chris's opinion. You know, because I think I know where this is going. I'm sure you. You've had several dealings with people on the telephone. <laughs> I know exactly business. where this is going. <laughs> And, and 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 if and unless you've got a really loud talker on the other <laughs> end of the phone, I shouldn't be able to hear you crystal clear through a through a handheld phone unless I'm Also, speaker. that was an Thank arena you.
2: telephone. How did Holt get that number? <laughs> well, well, this is you know how I burst out laughing when I saw Lex Luger, which happens every day anyway. But th- this was the second time I burst out laughing. So <laughs> Eric Bischoff is speaking to he's speaking on the phone. He's got it. I believe he's got the handset up to his ear but maybe he yeah. accidentally hit it on speakerphone which is fine that's not a problem we, we do that sometimes but then like you said nate hogan comes through crystal clear and louder than bischoff at least knock his <laughs> knock it down a little bit put a bit of distortion on there or something and just make it tinny so it sounds like he's on speaker i was i, I found it absolutely hilarious and it was just like welcome to wcw
1: now Hulk Hogan sounded like he was the one holding the camera during this segment when he said that it was so crystal clear. <laughs> you won't be surprised. So, opening match time, it is Kurt Henning versus Sean, the perfect one, Stasiak. Uh Nate, you watched last week's uh show, so you know the backstory behind these two. Uh Chris, do you know what the backstory is between these two? Do you know why they have uh they have this rivalry?
2: Um well, no. I know bits about it. Were they, um, they weren't on the previous show that I did? Were they, or am I getting confused with something else? Nope. Sean Stasiak debuted last week. He came up to a ripoff of Kurt oh.
1: Henning's theme song, and we have no idea why he's targeting Kurt Henning as the reason why, as the person he's going after, other than the fact that, uh, Vince Russo realized that perfect Sean sounded like perfect and, just went with the perfect—there's there, no motivation for this feud. But what's kind of frustrating is they did set it up last week, and here we are blowing it off a week later. But here we go. This is this is, uh, this is new even for Russo. We're fast-tracking a program so that it's ending before it's even explained. As soon as the bell rings, Miss Hancock makes her way to ringside. There's a lockup, and Stasiak throws Henning back into the corner. Henning and Stasiak lock up, but the announcers spin the entire match recapping Hogan's attack on Billy Kidman the night before. 90 seconds in and these two are already brawling around the ring. Kurt Hennig gets a bottle of water and throws it on Mark Madden. Back in the ring, Charles Robinson then takes one of the most awkward ref bumps you will ever find. Did this stick out to you guys as well?
2: Yeah, I groaned. It was, my, you know, I've burst out laughing twice and I've groaned and we're about maybe 20 minutes in.
1: So Stasiak was supposed to dodge a clothesline but he missed his cue so instead kurt has to graze the top of sean's head and then lower his arm back down so that he can hit chris robinson this was a instant gift request this was the most awkward ref bump i've ever seen
2: do you hits want to do that h- again you said chris robinson instead of charles robinson oh it's okay
1: <laughs> or maybe we should low- keep this
2: in because it's funny <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, people know what I mean when I say Charles Robinson. So instead, Kurt Chris has to. So instead, Kurt has to graze the top of Sean's head before lowering his forearm to hit Charles Robinson in the face. Instant gift request, guys! I want to have this in my feed. Hitting <laughs> hits like a hitting. If
2: you if you miss, sorry, Brian. It's like if you miss someone with a clothesline. It's like your arm is just like rigor mortis out there and you have to keep close lining <laughs> until you hit something and charles robinson just happened to be the unlucky party in that one
1: so hinning hits a hinning plex but the ref is knocked out Hinning checks on the ref while Staziak puts a pair of brass knuckles on he lays out hinning wakes up the ref hits his own perfect plant which is like a shitty f5 and then gets the three count not a good match, and this perfect plant is a really. I didn't. I don't think I've ever seen him do this move ever again. This was a really shitty looking move that I couldn't really tell who was taking the worst of here.
0: And, and see, I've got a question here, Brian. Man, and, and I, I don't want to derail this uh, this discussion too much, but uh, Sean Stasiak, interesting character. You know, I, I know. Uh, the, the backstage stuff and all that. But but just in terms of an in-ring competitor, do you think there was anything there besides the name? Uh, for Sean Stasiak? Yeah. like it was, it was, Could 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 he have been something in uh, a better I do company? I think later
1: on he becomes somewhat of an okay tag team partner to a better guy. But no, no. I think uh, it took him a while, but I think he has found his true calling as being a, being a chiropractor in Arizona now.
2: Have you seen those videos that he's been doing? Where he's like, he's, the, he's sort of done these inspirational videos where he wants to become the first father and son WWE champion in history. And I saw this interview about him and he was like, he was talking about, oh, they, I've given it to the office and, you know, they're interested. But, you know, we don't know what we're going to do with it. They're going to do nothing with it. Nobody Wait, wants he's to just, hear an inspirational story. He's doing that now? He's doing that. There is a video on YouTube about him doing it, it's like interspersing his chiropractic work. With his, um, like, his. his <laughs> wait, let me finish. With his, like, uh, he's got this sort of superhero persona where he goes around and sort of, like, speaks to kids and, you know, and is, like, a motivational speaker and stops bullying and all this crap. I'm like, that would make you the biggest heel in the business, basically. That's how wrestling works nowadays. You don't understand.
1: I think there's a better chance of David Flair coming into the WWE and becoming a world champion if they want to tell that story. I'll, uh, I'll pay for that. Good on you, Sean. Good on you, Sean.
2: Yeah, he's doing the right thing.
1: So with Stajak beating up Henning in the ring, we cut to the loading dock to find a vintage muscle car pulling up to the arena. And out comes the debuting F-U-N-B Hulk Hogan. The 46-year-old man is wearing black jeans, a black denim vest, and a black bandana. Hogan tries to enter the building, but there's police officers standing in his way, despite the fact that we already ditched that gimmick earlier. (laughs) So we've established security guard has been sent, but local law enforcement is still on the premises. Hogan says that one way or another, he's going in. The cops won't let him in, though, so there's a standoff. Hogan stares. The cops stare. Then the cops decide, it's okay, and they let Hulk Hogan come in. (laughs) Have either of you guys ever had an interaction with law enforcement that ended this way?
0: Hmm. I, I mean, not to get too socio-political, Brian, man, but uh, once again, the police take it easy on an unruly he's not white, white man. Though, is he? And look at his skin tone. I mean, he's
2: like the brownest man on earth. <laughs> they just realized, they just thought, no, stop, you're a black guy. And they said, oh, no, it's Hulk Hogan. He's a white guy. You can go in. And I, that's what happened.
1: Maybe Duray, <laughs> needs, to, Duray needs to give a, a call to Hulk Hogan. I think they get Black Lives Matter figured out, uh, you know, uh, tomorrow.
2: <laughs> but like, so that reminds but an Englishman, you know. <laughs> We have like this um this sort of ideal of like what the American police force is and that's kind of it right there, you know, just seeing what just <laughs> happened to Hulk Hogan. It's
1: so, sad. I, one of the think, greatest images uh, this entire year. I'm pretty sure you've both seen it. I Chris, I know you've seen it. It's that picture that Hulk Hogan posted on his Twitter of him just lovingly shaking hands with a black police officer. <laughs> like just the layers to
0: that image. <laughs>
2: Yes. Yes. Oh god. Like
0: this man he thinks he's making it better. But I I mean as as we'll see here as we'll see here in a moment though Brian man was that Hulk Hogan or was that the Terry Bollea cuz there are two different, people. Actually, are two different we're, people. We're going to talk about that later.
1: We'll talk about that later. And how in a court of law they established that Terry Bollea and Hulk Hogan have different sized penises <laughs> as <laughs> as the Gawker trial would establish a decade later. <laughs> so Hogan heads the ring. He gets lost, so the director has to cut back to Stasiak beating up Henning, and they stay on this long shot of the crowd. The Hulkster finally finds his way out and enters the ring. Stasiak takes a swing, but Hogan blocks it and throws Sean out of the ring. Hulk helps Henning to his feet, and we go to break. Back from break, Hogan's music is playing, so I assume the crowd was forced to watch this guy flex for two minutes to his music. Hogan says that he's had a lot of time to listen to the fans and critics over the years. He's getting older, but so is every other wrestler.
0: But the one question that I hear over and over by all the critics is does Hulk Hogan still have something to offer the wrestling business? And I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, you're damn right I do, because I'm here to lead by example.
1: Hogan says if anyone wants to come out and take his spot, he'll kick their ass. So there he is, leading by example. Hogan says that Bischoff isn't messing with Hulk Hogan. He's messing with the man, Terry Bollea. We're shooting here, guys. Hogan says that Kidman called him out last week, and now it's his turn to do the same. Kidman then appears on the big screen and says he doesn't come running. If Hogan wants him, he'll be waiting in the back for him. Hogan then runs off to find Kidman. We then cut to a parking ramp where Kidman is waiting with Bischoff and the White Hummer. So, Hogan is in shoot mode, we're dealing with Terry Bollea now, and the announcers would make a very big deal about this the entire night.
2: Can we just talk about Billy Kidman for a second?
1: Uh, Yeah, and how he was wearing a full-grown man's Hulk Hogan shirt and it made him look like a fucking toddler. That's exactly
2: what I was going to say, yeah. But I don't understand, like, the visual of Billy Kidman is enough. It's... When he was when he starts talking, he sounds like a villain in like an episode of Saved by the Bell or something <laughs> like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like that after-show special <laughs> kind of oh oh Hulkster, I can kick your bottom. Uh, you know, he's very PG and just like you know, I'm I'm gonna beat you up and there's nothing you can do about it. And he's like the least convincing heel of all time.
0: I, I will give I will give Hogan a two points though with with this with this segment. Uh, number one, he uh, brought up the fact that. Not only is he getting older, but everybody in the back is too. That's a fact. Uh, but then the second thing is when he kept going on and on about if anybody wants his spot, they they have to come take it. It it brought to mind a movie called The Five Heartbeats, which I'm sure you haven't seen, Brian. Man, I've heard of uh, it. Going on some going on assumptions here, but it's it's the fictitious tale of this uh this this made up r&b group and they go through all these struggles these ups and downs and there's a scene where the former lead singer that got kicked out because he was a cokehead comes back and he's like verbally assaulting the new lead singer and he's like uh you want my spot flash you want my spot well you can't get it because you ain't got it it's it's a great movie go ahead and check it out uh, this weekend folks five heartbeats but that's what i saw here from hulk hogan if i had to guess that guy was probably a bad guy right He's a bad guy, but uh, spoiler alert, there is a redemption
1: tale at the end of the movie. (laughs) Well, spoiler alert, there's not a redemption tale at the end of Hulk Hogan. (laughs) What I'm saying is, like, he's (laughs) supposed to be a babyface here, but that's not, like, I thought he was saying leading by example. He's like, okay, he's going to say something respectable. He's going to say something about doing good for the locker room. He says, no, if you want my spot, I'm going to kick your ass if you try to take it. Like, John Cena will say stuff like that, but when John Cena would say it, it's like, hey, I'm looking for someone to step up. And if you can beat me and you can prove me wrong, it's your spot. You earned it. But no, he's he's flat out saying, I'm the top. Yeah, I'm old, but so are all of you. Fuck off. This is my perch.
2: I don't think Terry Balea really understands the concept of shooting mid-ring. You can shoot, but don't be too honest. And I think that was his problem there. <laughs> I am going to bury you. Deal with it.
1: So uh, here's the thing, though. This is the end of this big Hogan segment. And we actually, Chris, you and Hulk Hogan are linked forever on the show because we purposely had you on for hulk hogan's first episode back his first match back and the debut of the hogan bump challenge mm. now tonight hogan doesn't necessarily have a match per se but he is all over this what do you guys think we have a special hogan bump challenge show long maybe not just bump see if, see
2: if anyone actually gets any heat on this guy do you guys want to do this definitely i thought there was a chance that he might take a bump when he uh, when he attacks stasiak you know, he might bump for the young kid. Oh, I didn't think there was you a know, he might single bump chance for his that. dad. Well <laughs> It's like I've oh, never respect seen a Hogan family? match ever, is it? Yeah, maybe. You know, he might take one bump and then batter the hell out of him, but you know, probably not. But we'll see. You know. Could happen. So we agree we should do a uh, we should do a Hogan bump challenge.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: I'm down. I'm down. Chris, we have a second reason for
2: you being here this week. Isn't that isn't that so? There is a second reason, a very special reason. And what's that? Well, special in the way that having special needs is special, I did a uh, little jingle for the Hogan Bump Challenge. Would you like to hear it? So,
1: even though we did not have an official match for the Hulkster this week, we do have an official theme song for the Hogan Bump Challenge. Let's go ahead and hear it. (laughs)
0: You know, move over, Carlos Santana. We have a new number one <laughs> smash hit on the charts. Oh man, that's
1: fucking great! I we're gonna have to figure out like because Hogan's gone in like ju- in June. We're gonna have to figure out a Nash bump challenge or something because I want that song to to be on this on the show each week.
2: I could do a Nash cover. We can see. Well, you know, I mean, I'm always available for for petty work as long as it, you know, as long as the song is less than ten seconds, then I'm in.
1: <laughs> well, no, that was odd. Chris, thank you so much. That was great. And <laughs> is that going to be uh, is that going to be available on your SoundCloud as well? If people want to uh, download that, yeah, I'll definitely upload it. Yeah, why not? Awesome, great. Because yeah, people hit us up still all the time asking how to download the the themes the theme song for the show. So awesome, that's great. So there we go. Uh, now that we are officially in a Hogan bump challenge, how many bouts of offense do you think he's going to allow other people to have? Doesn't even have to be a real bump. How many times do you think he's going to let someone else? Get one over on him uh, in this evening.
2: Oh, now this is interesting because because th- mm. I've already watched it and I was thinking, you know, I'm not, he's obviously not going to take a bump. But how many times maybe if he got punched, punched in the face or low blowed or kicked or something? Now that now I didn't I didn't plan for this one. I need, I need a minute. I don't think Nate. we need
1: to say each. I don't, I don't think we need to have to say each kick. I think it could be like if he's brawling with someone, how how many times he allows them to be on the upper hand. So I think it's just uh, shifts in momentum.
0: Mm. Well, you would think since this whole storyline is designed to get Billy Kidman over, right? You you would think Billy Kidman would would at least get some licks in tonight. Uh, so I'll, I'll say Hogan Hogan gives up some uh, some some offense once.
2: Once, okay. What do you think, Chris? Um, I was I was thinking once as well. Which I was thinking the Kidman thing. I but then again, if you'd have asked me at the start, I probably would have said you know that maybe he um, would have. Taking a little bit from uh, Stan the Man's Kid. So, out of respect for that, I'm going to say two. <laughs> two? And I'm going to say, I'm going to go three, so we can keep it in a line here. Okay. And when
1: we get to this episode, we're going we're gonna to have to debate this when we get to the very end of the episode. Okay. But that's just a teaser for everybody. Mean Gene scores his first interview of the night with world champion Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett says tonight he's seen the New Blood guys complain about opportunity, so he's putting an open contract on his locker room door for anyone that wants to get a world title shot, as long as they're not a member of the Millionaires Club. So this is going to start a show-long storyline, and I actually thought this was kind of an interesting way to set up a a, a mystery challenger.
0: I I agree, but I think for me, one of the key suspects was already ruled out, uh, because while we didn't see the name, Written on the board, we did see the hand. Yes, yeah, that will come later. <laughs> so, that will come later. This. So, so uh, Booker's Booker's out. Booker's out. out.
1: <laughs> Hogan's out.
0: Hogan's out.
1: <laughs> Our next match is a hardcore championship match with Terry Funk defending against the Wall. Before the match there's a recap of Dustin Rhodes getting fired last night for helping Terry Funk win. This video even included Vince Russo firing him saying that he was only ever good as gold dust and he's the one who created gold dust. Ooh.
0: Fantastic. Put over your wow. show. So, um the only So was that the last time uh, in, in 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 real life was that the last time Dustin Rhodes was in WCW? Uh no,
1: no. He's back in I think two weeks or something.
0: <laughs> he's
1: he does he, this firing does not stick. Just, firings don't stick with Vince Russo. Except for his own (laughs) TNA currently. (laughs) So uh, just as that segment was garbage, this match was garbage. Uh, It's just weapon shots, not much else to say. Uh, The Wall is working over Funk. He brings him to the stage area. They crash into the Nitro Girls dancing cage. It appears as though the Wall is about to win the match and bring the title to the new blood when a stack of tables just falls on the wall, (laughs) knocking him down. Funk puts one of the tables onto the wall. He stumps on, he stomps on it to break it, and then pins him, retaining the title. So Terry Funk is our winner via pinfall. Uh, this was nothing. It was trash. There was nothing to it. And I gotta say, this was the laziest finish to a match like this. I remember a couple of weeks ago we had a like Sid Vicious got hit by like a mystery pipe through a curtain or something. That one was pretty lazy. But just a, a Stack of tables falling on him like they're at a Lowe's?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe someone didn't put them together. Maybe it was an Ikea job or something. Uh, The only thing I've got to take away (laughs) from this was um, Terry Funk doing a moonsault and essentially giving himself a pile driver because the wall thought that he was, you know, Rob Van Damme or something. It's like, no, when Funk does a moonsault, you stand three feet further in front of you that you think you're going to do it because he's going to land on his head, which he
0: did. Man, I this was the low point of the show for me, which is saying something mm-hmm. like I, I just every, and, and it's a recurring theme. Every time I see Terry Funk into in the year 2000, I just get sad. I just get, you know, I long for the, the, the good old days, uh, you know, of, of, of funk, whether that be in Texas or whether that be, uh, in WCW when he made his comeback to take on mm. Clarence thing, uh, in the, in the mm. late eighties, like good, good Terry Funk, not this, Terry Funk that is being, I don't want to go as far as to say exploited, Brian Man, but they're definitely not taking care of the guy. Well,
1: this is how he, I mean, he's, he's leaning into this, and he would continue leaning into this on a national level for like the next seven years, you know? So, I mean, you can't necessarily fault the company, I would say, but I, I mean, what I would fault the company for is how they're booking this guy. I mean, we've said it over and over again, he should be not at like the full Undertaker phenom level, but at least like a Triple H level maybe, where he's not on he's not wrestling on each episode of nitro maybe he wrestles every pay-per-view and you build that up but he's still a pretty good promo actually uh now that if you think back to the beginning of the year when he was the uh the commissioner or whatever maybe that would be a better use for him Is he gets to come out and cut a promo against a guy and then build up i mean the fact that he was the one guy who escaped the the new blood and is the one guy who has a title holding out Maybe we should have heard from him. Maybe we should have seen how him talking about him weighing in. As far as I know, he has not given his opinion on this New Blood uh, Millionaires Club issue because I think the story with him is that he's just his own man. He's a no man's land, but the announcers have just told us that. We haven't heard him say that, which would be a pretty interesting character at this time period. Agreed. Chronic enters Russo's office to ask about their tag team match, which Russo just doesn't know about. Russo says they've already got a lot going on tonight, so they'll get their match some other time. Adams doesn't give a damn what's going on. They made a deal, and they want a title match tonight. Russo ensures them that they will get it. They just have to be patient. Outside Jarrett's locker room, someone signs the contract for the title match. We only see this mystery man's hand, and... It's a Caucasian hand signing S, so either it's Scott Steiner or Shane Helms. Who knows? After the match, Jeff Jarrett <laughs> finds the contract and tears it down before calling Vince Russo an idiot. Um, I like what happened here. I like that they kept it a mystery, but this sort of drips into what we are talking about in the opening segment there with Hulk Hogan and being able to hear his telephone call clearly why is the cameraman playing along with the mystery? Why is he not just shooting this wide? Why is he not just telling us who this is? Right. I almost think this would have worked better had we never seen the hand. From a storyline, I mean, from a cinematic perspective, I think it's a great way of getting that information across, but it almost would have been better if we just never saw that portion of it because, yeah, by seeing it being a white hand that starts with S, it really... It really narrows it down as to who this person could be.
0: <laughs> and it, and I, the other thing with this, though, and it, it kind of ties into the segment earlier when they were in uh, Bischoff's office. This group has been around for what? A exactly. week? Why are we already going to the dissension storyline? And
1: why are we seeing Jarrett and Russo at each other's throats? Like, all they have told us is that, time telling him they've told us he's his chosen champion. But we've never actually seen the two of them, like bond or anything like that like give us at least one week where they're on the same page
0: so you want some vignettes with jeff jared and vince russo out on the town in rockford illinois
1: if nothing else i want them to be talking about uh hey if this thing doesn't work out let's start a company named after boobies and butts that'll be a good idea
2: <laughs> no one will watch that
1: well that is true <laughs> mean gene scores his second interview of the night this time with ddp DDP says when he got here, he wasn't allowed to come in the building, and now he has a match with Mike Awesome. DDP says Bischoff got into his personal life, so he's going to tear him a new ass. (laughs) This is an interesting turn of events, because last week, uh, Hulk Hogan said that he was going to eat Bischoff's
2: ass. I'm so sorry. My mic's going to clip at this rate.
1: Eric Bischoff is the hottest piece of ass in the locker room right now.
2: Eat your heart out, Kimberly, or eat your ass out, Kimberly. Who knows? One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused. We need to move on really quickly.
1: At ringside, four middle-aged fans in suits are shown, just a couple of businessmen enjoying the show. Then Mark Madden says, "Oh my goodness, do you know who that is?" "No, I don't." Apparently, one of these dudes owns a hockey team, and another one of them plays hockey. Uh, you two are more versed in the world of sport. Uh, did, did any of you have any clue who these men were?
2: I mean, I didn't start watching hockey properly until about 2008. So, uh, no, is my uh, answer. Nate, what do you think?
0: Not at all. Like, especially (laughs) in the year, in the year 2000, like unless it was Wayne Gretzky or Mark Messier, uh, or even Brett Hall, like somebody like that, I would have no idea who they were. So no, I did not know who Bob Probert was. And I did not know the, uh, the owner, MacArthur,
2: or whatever his name was. I've heard of Probert in retrospect, but I haven't heard of the owner.
1: I knew it. This was the week we should have had CM Punk on, because he, he could have schooled us on the ownership history
2: of the Chicago Black. Oh, well, I'm awfully sorry that you had to put up with me instead. <laughs> well, <laughs> Well, maybe we CM Punk can awesome. do your hey, next Hulk Hogan jingle, if he could find a guitar.
1: Here's the thing. He did. We just thought yours was better.
2: Oh, so okay. full circle, there's I, a compliment for you. I appreciate that. Thank you, brother.
1: What I'm saying is he has a lot of time on his hands.
2: I'm sure he does, yeah.
1: So in the ring, the Mamelukes are awaiting their opponents, the Harris Brothers, for what is supposed to be a number one contenders match for the tag team titles. We then cut backstage where Chronic is beating up the Harris Brothers, which made them baby faces in my book. Adams and Clark then come to the ring and brawl with the Mamelukes. Clark hits his pump handle slam to Jaina the Bull, and then the two of them lay out Vito with a double choke slam. Adams gets the mic and says that anyone that faces them will feel chronic pain, will take a chronic beating, and will live a chronic nightmare. <laughs> so there we go, guys. Chronic officially has a name. They are here. And I, I, I got to say, I, Chris, you're probably going to agree with me. I enjoyed this. I yes. enjoyed having
2: two muscle right. dudes. Big, I mean, sweaty, roidy motherfuckers.
1: That fucking pump handle slam is always a thing of beauty. Is one of the few things he did really well, and I just thought that, unlike a lot of what we've been seeing this week, uh, the last couple of weeks, Nate, these two are a polished. Now I wouldn't know not say polished, but these two are a team that have a look. They 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 work and they're kicking ass. Like this is this is a an overall team and a gimmick that works in a way that we haven't seen in this division uh, all year.
0: Yeah, there's certainly an upgrade over you know a, a team like. The Harris Boys or, or the Mama Luke's or even like a makeshift team like Booker T and Billy Kidman, like at least these guys you, you buy them hanging out. And I like I was never I was never a chronic hater. Like they, they weren't great, but I, I thought there was something there. I'll
1: go so far as to say I was a chronic fan at one point. And, and these months, these coming shows will, will reveal that. But I thought, yeah, right here, they've got a great look, they got a great chemistry. What what about you, Chris? Was this your first time seeing Chronic?
2: Uh, no, I do remember Chronic. That they, I remember them in the WCW in uh, two thousand or something. When um, I was watching ITV in England, when they showed about like I don't know three or four episodes or something. So I do remember Chronic very, very briefly. But this is really my first proper introduction. And anyone that knows me knows that there is no surprise that I fucking love these two boys. Uh, <laughs> you, you've got two guys who are essentially completely shit. Crush was always shit great mullet in the in like 93 you've got the other guy uh, clark is it adams and clark um, yeah the, the double brian action so i actually remember watching a match of his when he was a night stalker in like 91 i can't remember who he faced but it was he had one of the worst matches ever and adam bomb was dreadful you combine the two powers of shitness and you get something that's just glorious and uh the promo that they cut afterwards just made me laugh because They've obviously been told by Russo to do a little bit of the shoot sort of element thing. So they were, they were, they, I think they said something like, "We both worked for you," which they did in WWF. But they were saying yeah. this whilst they were cutting a shouty '80s Powers of Pain promo at the same time, <laughs> and I was just, my head just exploded. I'm like, "This is brilliant!" I was so happy. Segment of the night for me. Oh, second, no, second segment of the night. The best one is still still to come.
1: So we go to the announcers and they kind of recap what we've seen so far. And then they're cut off by Vampiro's music, who comes out. So we're getting back-to-back promos here. Vamp says that at Spring Stampede, he tasted Sting's blood and he tasted his fear. And at Slamberry he's going to devour Sting. The lights go out, and we hear the thunder crack, and Sting's music plays. Sting then repels from the ceiling and proceeds to... How many hits was this? I think he hit Vampiro about two dozen times with a baseball bat. Sting says he learned about pain from the best guys like Flair and Luger. Sting says Vamp will learn quickly about pain. He then plants him with a scorpion death drop and calls WCW his turf. This was another good segment. I mean, I think Sting maybe overdid it with the baseball shots, but... Uh, but he showed a lot of fire here. This this was the Sting charisma and intensity that uh, makes makes us all fans of the of the of Steve
2: Borden. <laughs> Can I just ask a quick question? Um, has this uh is this feud been going on for a while? Because this seemed like the end of a feud. The, the you know the baby no, face. No, they kicking had been
1: the uh, they had been partners uh for months, and then last week uh, with the whole re- rebrand, they were the brothers in paint, and now uh, Vampiro has turned on Sting.
2: Oh, okay. Because that beatdown seemed like, you know, the end of a feud and Sting wins, and then I don't really want to see Vampiro get his revenge because he's a bad guy. Right?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, yeah.
2: So, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well,
1: no, what happened was so the night before, uh, Vampiro cost Sting the U.S. title. Ah. And so this was Sting coming back and being like, I'm going to beat the fuck out of you because I care about that mid-card title.
2: Right. I must have missed that in the two-minute slideshow of when they were uh, describing what <laughs> happened in the previous pay-per-view the night before. Uh, Jesus. Okay. But do they keep feuding, or do you want to just keep that as non-spoilers? Yes. Okay, cool.
1: Uh, I mean, one spoiler I think everyone knows already is that uh,
2: uh,
1: Vampiro is going to light Sting, Sting on fire in two months.
2: <laughs> oh okay. Uh, what does everyone think about Vampiro? Because when I was uh, when I was looking at him, I'm not entirely sure if he needs the paint. Just because he looks so um, you know unique anyway, he's got that sort of lost boys look. He's got the hair and the leather mm-hmm. jacket, and he looks kind of cool with the tattoos anyway. Does he really need to paint his face? Especially when we're going into this era where everything's a bit more real.
1: Uh yes and no. I mean, I, I think the thing that's really hurt Vampiro is that he was really catching fire two, three weeks ago as a babyface, and now he's having to turn that on its head. And it's a shame because it really was working and it really was taking off, and just mm. to see it abandoned so quickly. Um, what do you, Nate? Uh, what, what, what do you think, Nate? And also, I, I know you've been holding your breath all this time. You, you want to talk about Sting, so feel free to do that as well.
0: Well, yeah, first of all, with, with Vamp, I, I always was a fan of his back in the day. I thought he was unique. I thought that, uh, you know, he was somebody that the company should have done more with. Uh, for whatever reason, anytime he started to gain momentum, they would saddle him with something terrible, whether it was the New Blood storyline or whether it was the the Dark Carnival where he was hanging out with with uh, was he hanging out with the Misfits in the Great Muda? He sure was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that that'll put butts in the seat. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I thought Vampiro was was. Uh, was, was a, a good worker. And I thought him and Sting, both as a team and, and, and eventually feuding, I thought there was some potential there. Uh, but in terms of just this segment, I agree that the beatdown was probably a little bit too much, uh, but but this might have been my favorite segment on the show. Like, uh, you had Vamp, who gave a pretty good promo, but then when the lights go out and you're like, okay, Sting's going to come down, but how is he going to come down? Is he going to walk out? Are the lights going to go out and he's just in the ring? So I I, I, I had forgotten if he was still doing the uh, repel gimmick or not. So when they cut to that camera shot with Vampiro looking around the ring, and all of a sudden Sting just lands in the ring and, and hits with the force that makes the camera shake, I was like, oh, this, this is going to be good. And then uh, Sting proceeds to uh, beat the hell out of Vampiro, call him boy like 50 times, and uh, remind us in, in, in a way that I'm sure a young Roman Reigns took note of that this was his yard.
1: I also think this might have been the first time he had done the rappel in a while. Because if I'm not mistaken, he didn't. He hasn't done it at all this year. I think Shivani said something sure they as just,
2: well, didn't he? Shivani said, it's like we haven't seen him come from the ceiling in weeks.
1: Yeah. Well, what had happened was they dropped it after the Owen Hart
2: uh, oh. incident. Oh, God. And, and it was, I
1: guess, Russo's idea to say, hey, let's Which, go back to it.
2: Yeah, both were Russo's ideas, though, weren't they? Yeah. Mm.
1: And the next pay-per-view is at Kemper Arena.
2: Oh, God, okay.
1: So, quickly switching gears here. Hogan is still trying to find Billy Kidman backstage, and he runs into the catering area and asks a table full of children, Hey, any of you kids seen Kidman? They, of course, <laughs> no, no, uh, have not seen
2: Billy Kidman. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He says, this is my favorite segment. He runs. Oh, into this the, was it. This is my favorite segment, because he runs into catering, and he goes, and I actually had to write it down here, he goes... Kidman, where are you, son of a bitch, and then the the camera pans, and it's like the kids table in cable the six kids, and you just see you just see like Hogan just going oh have you have you seen Billy Kidman and suddenly he's all right nice and cordial as much as as cordial as Hulk Hogan can be to the children he yes, asked the children where Billy Kidman was after calling him a son of a bitch, I thought it was brilliant it' just vintage w c w We
1: go to Russo's office where Jarrett is complaining about defending the title tonight. Apparently it was Russo's idea to offer the shot as a way to appease the locker room. Jarrett says about the guy who signed the contract, that boy ain't right. Russo says he'll take care of it and leaves the room. Up next is a match between two guys who actually kind of give a shit, DDP and Mike Awesome. DDP punches Awesome and follows up with a discus clothesline to start. DDP wipes out... uh, DDP whips... Awesome into the ropes, but Awesome catches him with an elbow. DDP stumbles outside, and Awesome hits a top rope splash to Page. Really impressive move for a guy his size. Awesome charges at DDP on the guardrail and leaps, but DDP moves. DDP then grabs a chair and hits Awesome. Disqualification? No, there is no DQ. The announcers explained that it was announced last night that there aren't any DQs in WCW anymore. Who knew? Uh, DDP then... Uh, DDP then comes at Awesome with the chair, but Awesome gets a boot up. Chris Canyon then hits the ring, attacking Awesome. No DQ. Awesome then grabs Canyon and lands a released German suplex. Awesome goes outside and gets a table. This, however, does cause a bell to be wrong by the referee. So while we can't have a DQ, I guess we can have a no contest. Awesome then goes to put Canyon on the table, but the Wolfpack music plays. Nash comes out of the crowd and attacks Awesome from behind, powerbombing him through the table. Nash then celebrates along with DDP and Canyon. Uh, I mean, until we got into the the weird, can we have a DQ, can we not? I thought uh, DDP and Mike Awesome were actually having a a somewhat okay match here that I kind of wish they'd been allowed to actually have
0: a, a, a bit fuller of a story here. Brian, how how familiar are you with the, the work of the late, great Mike Awesome? Uh,
1: I would say I, I, I've seen more of his ECW stuff, or I've been more impressed with his ECW stuff more than anything because WCW becomes a comedy character, and they did nothing with him in, in WWE. Yeah,
0: because I, I was a fan of Mike Awesome back in the day, particularly the ECW stuff with him and uh, Tanaka, and I had forgotten because it's been so long since I watched a random Mike Awesome match how good this guy was. And even though this was a nothing match, like you saw glimpses of how good he could be. And it's, it's just unfortunate that here's another guy, you know, along with Vampiro and so many other people on this show that I feel they didn't know what to do with.
2: I agree. I mean, you could tell that awesome had four minutes and he had to get his shit in and he got all of it in. And this guy, you know, I don't really like him because I've never seen him have a match that, you know, that isn't just, oh, just high spots every, like, 30 seconds. But, you know, the guy can move. He's an incredible athlete, and he's finally grown his hair out so he can get it into a ponytail, and you've got to give him credit for that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's just a guy that I think in the next couple months is going to be hampered by the fact that he's not that great of a talker. So in Vince Russo's mind, oh, I've just got to make you a complete total joke, and... This guy who I think could have been an actual main eventer for them, especially if you had paired him up with someone else talking for him, I think Bischoff cutting promos for this guy could have been great. I think Russo cutting promos for this guy could have been great. He could have been a main event heel, a main event threat. If anything, he'd be a much better champion for this company right now than uh, Jeff Jarrett, I would say. I mean, he was coming in as the ECW champion. He was coming in with some legitimacy. Mm. And, I mean, what we have uh, down the line is uh, the Fat Chick Thriller, and uh that seventies guy and I think a brief stint in Team Canada as well, if I'm not mistaken.
2: That's not the same as what you proposed, was it? I mean uh Nope. Treat you know treating him like an enforcer, like as you know, almost like how, you know, like you said with Bischoff, maybe Bischoff is Heyman and he's Lesnar. Um might, you know, give him a bit of credibility. Um there was one thing that I, I wanted to So think... brown
1: Oh, I was gonna say that. If you had him in Kidman's role in that Kidman feud, that would make, I mean, that would make total sense. Obviously, they were kind of backdoored into it because Hogan had to make up for the fact that he was talking shit about Kidman on a radio show. But if you instead <laughs> had, like, Hogan had cornered Eric Bischoff and he's, like, about to take his head off because he's so pissed off about what he said on last week's episode. And then out of nowhere, oh, my God, it's the ECW champion coming to the aid here. And I think a guy that was awesome size, obviously, Hogan would be fine selling for this
2: guy. He would have no problem with it. Also, isn't Mike Awesome Hogan's cousin or something? Is that true? I've heard, isn't he like, he's related to Horace or Hulk or there's something in that in that realm? Might be worth checking out. I don't want to. I
1: have not heard that. Have you heard
2: that, Nate? All
0: right. Mike Awesome was the cousin of Hulk Hogan's nephew, uh, Horace. There you go.
1: Oh, Wow. Well, I mean, he would barely let Horace get any heat on him, so I don't think that family can... <laughs> yeah, I mean, he would probably do a job for Brooke, you know, other than putting suntan lotion on her
2: legs. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> before we move on, can I just <laughs> just ask one question? Um, so, Awesome had Canyon up for that powerbomb, and he was just about to put him through the table, and then uh, Nash's music hit. Why does entrance music paralyze wrestlers? There's, it's not like the Ultimate Warriors music has hit and you've got like 12 seconds to pa- to powerbomb Chris Canyon. Nash is going to be hobbling down there with his quads and his knees. Powerbomb Canyon and
0: then look for Kevin
2: Nash. Easy.
0: I, I mean, to be fair, though, in, in Mike Awesome's defense, the Wolfpack theme is pretty sweet. So he Was probably, he dancing, you know, just took a second. He's thought. wanted to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. he's like, this is a
2: good-ass song. Don't turn your back on the Wolfpack. That makes sense. Okay, that's, that's a good... Yeah, it doesn't really explain all the other times when wrestlers stop doing stuff to turn to the entrances, but maybe they're just enjoying the entrance music. We'll never know.
1: Backstage, Russo tries to convince the Mystery Man to drop tonight's title match. Elsewhere, Tank Abbott is shown walking to the ring, and Madden starts flipping out. It is now time for the main event of Mean Jeans Night as he got to interview... Buff Bagwell and his <laughs> tag team partner Shane Douglas. Buff, dressed like a redneck bobsledder, says he's tired of guys like Flair trying to show him up. Bagwell offhandedly mentions that he'll be facing Luger at Slambury. Shane says he's waited seven years to get his hands on Flair, which is an interesting thing to say since he's already faced Flair twice this very week. Shane reveals he'll be facing Flair at Slambury, so... It's already established that the tag team champions will not be defending their belts on the next pay per view. Douglas still wants Luger tonight, though. Luger runs into the shot and says he'll face Shane tonight, but if Russo interferes, the tag team titles are his. Douglas agrees and says that he'll be happening all over Lex's ass. So there's something <laughs> going not on in the locker room, guys. It's <laughs> again the ass.
2: What's going on here?
1: That's a shoot. Dude, there's and-
2: a fixation. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, I mean, I don't like Shane Douglas for many reasons, and the reason I didn't like Shane Douglas here is because he did, he cut a shitty promo that took attention away from Buff Bagwell. I'm so happy Buff Bagwell is here. I'm so happy it's shit-eating Buff Bagwell, and just just bring it on. Bring on the handsome stranger.
0: I got another question, Brian, man, because I, I like the theme of this this week's show where we're kind of doing a referendum on a lot of these talents, but... I was a fan of ECW Shane Douglas, but I never liked WCW Shane Douglas. Was it was it just because Shane Douglas got lazy, or was it the booking, or or some combination of both? I mean, I didn't really like ECW
1: Shane Douglas. I never saw much in Shane Douglas, so I I don't know. I, I think that um, he was a slippery slope at, ever since the IC title run. It, it, there was really no 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 more up from there. Yeah, I mean, he could cut a okay promo occasionally I think Russo found him entertaining and that's why he got the positions that he did but he just never felt motivated he just always felt a guy who, who had a chip on his shoulder and never backed it up
2: I mean look at the difference in physiques that we've got coming up we've got Luger versus Douglas and like you know who's motivated there and who's not obviously Luger is tremendous and it can't do anything wrong but Douglas just looks like a you know chubby checker
1: I mean Bagwell had to put a shirt on just to not yeah. distract away from Shane here in the in this shot. Exactly, Bagwell,
2: Bagwell, <laughs> exactly. Bagwell is get- a <laughs> Freudian slip there. Bagwell's getting punished because of the you know this useless partner that he's got to carry every single day. We go out to the
1: arena and Tank Abbott comes to the ring and Madden is just totally losing it. Tank says he'll continue to hurt people until Goldberg grows nuts big enough to fight him. Tank looks at the announcers and then stalks around the ringside area. He then grabs Bruce MacArthur, one of the owners of the Chicago Blackhawks. Tank drags MacArthur into the ring until that that hockey player gets in the ring to help. Security runs in and pulls the two of them apart. I, I guess the crowd had no idea that if this guy was such a legend, there was no pop for him coming into the ring. No. Uh, I don't know. I thought this was an okay segment in in concept. I definitely thought it was executed better than the Buffalo Bills stuff they did at the beginning of the year. But it was very clear that they didn't really um, – they didn't block this one out. They didn't lay it out. And I feel like maybe if they'd done a run-through earlier in the evening, it might have been a little bit smoother. But – But for celebrity involvement, it wasn't that bad, and I would be curious to know if they got on SportsCenter at the time.
0: Well, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, to, to uh, check that, Brian, (laughs) man, and and say yes. There, there was something extremely bad here, and and you're always asking for gifts from the, the listeners out there. Oh, I think we need a gift of Tank Abbott. Pulling this man over the guardrail, because I have never, in, in all of my years of watching professional wrestling, I've seen plenty of people get... He was going for a pile drive. I, I, I thought he was going it... to pile drive him on the floor. Yeah.
2: I was convinced he was going to pile drive this guy on the floor for a second, yeah, that, and he he's... thought about it. Tank Abbott thought about it, and he thought, oh shit, I can't do this, and he'll probably die. So he just, uh, he just ended up just throwing his uh, abdomen against the apron yeah. instead, which probably hurt him more. And the thing is that after he rolled him in the ring, the guy sold like he was dead. A tank Abbott didn't even punch him. He was just dead. It was brilliant. Why do all celebrities do that? Celebrities, in inverted commas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Backstage, on his hunt for Kidman, Hulk Hogan runs into NXT trainer Terry Taylor. Terry Bollea asks where Kidman is, and Terry Taylor tells him he's waiting in the parking lot. Now, it's kind of crazy that this is two weeks in a row where Hulk Hogan has had to rely on Terry Taylor... <laughs> Mm -hmm. To figure out where Billy Kidman is, is Taylor like uh, Kidman's handler
0: or his his omen of some sort? You know what's even crazier than that, Brian, man, is we're about an hour and a half into this show. And Terry Taylor is just showing up for work.
1: Yeah, well, he does say, I'm, I'm running late, and it's like, dude, at this point, don't even bother showing up.
0: <laughs> right, why, right, why not I just call in sick? Hey, hey, sorry, Eric, I couldn't make it this week, I had car problems. But showing up an hour late into any job, that, that's a bad sign. Especially when it's a two-hour job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we then abruptly cut to a pre-tape where some bodacious babes are sitting poolside with Jimmy Barron. An Atlanta drive-time DJ who would do one-off appearances for the company sometimes, Jimmy turns to the lady next to him and asks for assistance. It's time for the road report, but he can't find his cell phone. This unnamed hottie tells Jimmy to use 1-800-CALL-ATT. Chris, I know you weren't a big fan of the original Lee Marshall road reports. I love them. I'm assuming Nate does as well. What did you think of this
2: revamped 2000 version? (laughs) I'm honestly struggling to remember it and I'm I'm not joking Um, I remember something I remember when you mentioned bodacious babe something happened in the head but I must have I seriously I just zoned out (laughs) I can't even I can't even comment I can't say anymore I'm sorry I'm so sorry
1: well, then I am going to call you to task for something that I know you have strong feelings on, and those are the Lee Marshall Road reports, which I love. I just love the concept of this. Where I mean, clearly Jimmy Barron and Lee Marshall were not one, one step ahead of the law with going to the Nitro the week before they get there. But I mm-hmm. did like that they had an actual presence on the show – stating, hey, here's what we're going to be next week, and maybe would entice people to buy tickets if they didn't realize it was going to be in their town next week. I mean, there have been times where Raw has been in, in New York, and I didn't know about it until the day of the show because I would just see something on Twitter. I like these, and I know you weren't a fan of them, but Nate, what, what did you think? Were you a fan of this, and were you are you a fan of just the concept in general?
0: Actually, I really didn't uh, care for this version of the Road Report. I think I preferred the Lee Marshall version, Mainly due to the fact that it was Lee Marshall and and you got Tony the Tiger telling you you know, hey, come out next week and see us in Peoria like that 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 had some charm to it. Uh, this this not so much. I mean it, it's edgy, I guess. It's it's the Ricky Rackmanization, uh, if you will, of the road report. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm I'm not here for it.
1: Well, the thing I always love about Lee Marshall and his road report was that I just pictured this guy so depressed he has cabin fever he misses his friends but they're making him stay a, a step ahead of them he's like hey this is lee marshall calling you from uh, tupelo mississippi i would love it if i could stick back for a week and say hi to everybody but i am stuck on the road and i'm gonna be calling you from st louis in one <laughs> week's time it was so fucking depressing to think this guy was not allowed to be with the rest of the crew, but this was his job. His job was just to show up a week early in the city and, I guess, scout out some good dinner recommendations for the crew. They never really justified why he was there a week early, but I like the concept of it.
2: I never thought of that. That's that's really depressing. Just to like if – you know, because I spent a lot of time on tour and for me to just go like one town ahead of the boys just sounds like <laughs> – <laughs> this, oh this restaurant's really good uh this restaurant's not so good this hotel's really bad don't stay there it's like all oh, the venues a bit smelly but you
1: how great would it be if they had uh jerry lawler doing that now <laughs> he was just like hey guy just want to give you a heads up uh there's some good skin flicks in this town <laughs> <He> just like <laughs> a run. it's like jerry we just need to know about the building that's it
2: <laughs> there's a 17 year old girl on uh coordinates 40- <laughs> no sorry <laughs>
1: So uh, this is actually followed up by another advertisement. I love it when the ads are kept in these network presentations. And this was an ad for NitroGirls.com. And it made it sound as though this was a cam girls site. Nitro
2: <laughs> <laughs> Log on. NitroGirls.com.
1: Uh, this is clearly an old ad as Stacy Keebler is seen introducing herself as Sky... Chris, I think the Nitro Gods must have known you were coming this week. Not only did we get this road report, but Nate and I have not discussed the Nitro Girls since you were here last, and here we are having to discuss the Nitro Girls
2: once again. What are the chances, eh? What are the chances?
0: Like I, I don't remember the Nitro Girls uh, website, but I'm sure I frequented it uh, in 2000. <laughs> that they're the 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 hottest dance group in in sports entertainment.
1: You could see the 2,000 race relations on play here, though, when it's like they're introducing them all, and it's like, I'm Sky, I'm Spice, I'm Tigress. It's like, we, we all have, like, you know, flirty, you know, girl names. And then, like, the one black woman comes on, she goes, I'm Chiquita. It's like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs>
2: the WCW police isn't letting her in the building. I'll tell you that straight away. <laughs> <laughs>
1: 'Cause that's the thing, Paisley's not a Nitro girl anymore, so
2: it's just Shakita in, in the group. Really? That's a shame. What happened to Paisley then?
0: I don't like I don't even remember Shakita. Are
2: you making Shakita oh, up, Brian? I don't remember this either.
0: <laughs> no, she's in there. Shakita's in there. <laughs> I mean she's so so what you're saying is to, to tie this back into music and also uh to tie this back into Chris's motherland, she's she's the scary spice of the Nitro girls. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, always one of my favorites is Scary Spice.
0: I think Spice
1: was the Scary Spice of the Spice Girls. Actually, no, wasn't there one of these? One of these girls was called Baby as well.
0: Yeah, I think there was, was a Baby. Baby. Are we talking uh,
1: about the Spice Girls? or Are we talking about the Nitro Girls? Talking about the Nitro Girls now. There was there was a Baby in both. There
2: was a Baby Spice. <laughs> but no, but there was
0: also a Baby in the Nitro Girls.
2: Wouldn't it have made sense to have a sporty Spice in the Nitro Girls? I mean, they they were all sporty Spice in a way, right? I get, I, yeah, I think
0: that was that, that was AC Jazz's role, obviously. Who's who's no longer <laughs> with the group? I don't think.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we need. Yeah, this is a long segment about the Nitro Girls. I just wanted to mention Sporty <laughs> Spice because she's the only one of the Spice Girls that I've ever met, and a lovely girl. Oh she
1: yeah, was how too. Is that?
2: Yeah, she's yeah, she's great, really great.
1: Backstage, Vince Russo informs Jeff Jarrett that the challenger still wants his shot. Jarrett is pissed, so Russo tells Jeff that he'll figure something out. In a Lex Luger could win the tag titles match, it's Lex Luger versus Shane Douglas. On commentary, the announcers inform us that slambery tickets go on sale this weekend. Jesus, they forgot to sell tickets for the next pay-per-view, guys. <laughs> so the big selling point is that there will be a three-tiered cage from Ready to Rumble. If that's not enough, Sid Vicious will be at the box office, too. Man, just just wait until these fans find out who will be in that main event. The match starts and it's all punch and kicking from Luger. Luger whips Shane into the ropes. Shane slips behind and hits a Russian leg sweep. Shane chokes Luger with the tape on his wrists. Luger catches Shane with a boot in the corner, though. Luger then signals for the torture rack. Buffs music then hits and Bagwell comes out, complete with pyro. This obviously distracts Luger, though. Chris, I don't think you're going to object to this one. I think you could understand why someone would stop in their tracks and and watch. Oh, I understand.
2: Oh, I'm going to understand.
1: So, uh, this distraction allows Shane to get the advantage. These two brawl around the ring. They then encounter a fan dressed as Sting who gives Shane a high five. So, they're implying that this is Russo in some sort of get up. Shane holds Luger for Sting to hit him with a bat, but the fake Sting hits Shane instead. Luger throws Douglas in the ring, and the Sting fan follows. The masked man then reveals himself to be Ric Flair. This is a night of dress-ups for Ric Flair, his second costume and reveal of the evening. The ref <laughs> but he's calls still wearing the, the bell. same
2: Sorry, he's still wearing the <laughs> same from the neck down. He's still wearing that same black <laughs> outfit. He's just changed masks. Not a so problem the ref- for, for nature. The ref then calls for the bell because
1: disqualifications count again. Shane Douglas wins. Flair attacks Douglas while Russo runs down to the ring to help Douglas out. Buff and Shane then demand to know where
2: Russo was, and they argue. So you mentioned the DQ, and this is what ties the first episode that I did on your podcast to this one now. I actually said, verbatim, I'm pretty sure you can go and check. What does it take to get DQ'd in this company? And I swear one of the commentators in this episode said, what does it take to get DQ'd in this company? I'm not kidding. That's what it links it in. It's all gone full circle. I was destined to be on this episode. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Well, in the first match, it it was a table would get you disqualified. And in this one, it was outside interference.
0: Okay. Well, that's good to know.
1: Now match quality guys, what would you think? This was very much a Lex Luger match in the year 2000 and yeah,
0: this match to me, I I know I spoke earlier about uh having some affinity for ECW Shane Douglas, but uh this match was two guys that that were clearly uh, not not at the prime of their career, let's just put it that way. Uh you know, this isn't 88 89 Lex Luger and this is not uh, you know, Shane Douglas from a few years before this. Uh and yeah, it was a uh, it was, it was a little underwhelming. I loved it. Well, you, <laughs> I, knew, no, it, it I knew you would. I knew
1: you would. <laughs> that, that's the thing. It's crazy that Lex Luger has not changed his style. If you muted this, it is the exact same Lex Luger match that he was giving us a month ago when he was a heel. It is just punchy-kicky and doing a little bit mm. of the old uh, you know wag the wings to let people know you're doing a torture rack.
2: Yeah, he also did the um, the flying forearm thing that he used to do in, in WWF when he was a narcissist, where which got banned, right? Because he had a steel plate in his forearm.
1: Right, now, but he's not uh, getting re- nearly as much hang time as he used to.
2: Not as much, it's more of a maybe a, cu- a couple of inches short, but that's the roids. But did he, uh, <laughs> did he remove the plate? Did people forget? Does it not hurt as much? What's going on with that?
1: Well, I'm curious, Nate. Did Lex Luger, did his steel plate... Was that ever in canon for WCW, or was that just WWE?
0: I don't know. We'll have to go to the uh, fact-checkers on this one, but to the best of my knowledge, uh, it was a WWF thing only. Uh, So I guess maybe that was contingent on him signing, re-signing with the company uh, when he came back at the Mall of America. They, They made sure he had the steel plate removed.
2: Maybe a plastic covering underneath the skin or something like that to soften the blow. We then go to the parking garage
1: where Hulk Hogan finds Kidman, and he is just... Finally,
0: finally finds Kidman. Finally how, finds how big the man. Is this damn parking garage? And there is
1: zero offense from Billy Kidman. We are not going to be giving him a point at all. He right away is on this fucking skinny nobody. Who does get the first bit of offense on Hulk Hogan? Tori Wilson, who hits him from behind with a 2 by 4 and for the sake of the show, guys, I'm going to count that a bump. We are at one. Tori <laughs> Wilson is the first person to get an upper hand on Hulk Hogan. Hogan grabs Tori by the throat.
2: No, Hogan doesn't. Hidman Terry Balea grabs Tori Wilson by the throat. B-
1: Terry Balea <laughs> grabs Tori by the throat. But Heal Kidman saves his girlfriend before the babyface Terry Belea can punch her in the face. <laughs> Kidman's offense, though... He gets some offense, so we're going to count it for two. Yes. Two people got the upper hand here. Kidman's offense is short-lived, though, as Hogan picks him up and tosses him in a dumpster. In the distance, Bischoff watches. Hogan spots Bischoff and gives chase. Eric gets in the white Hummer, but he can't get it to start, so Bischoff just runs up the ramp. Hogan gets in the Hummer and rams it into the dumpster, repeatedly, taking a page from Roman Reigns' playbook, trying to kill his opponent. Madden screams that Kidman might be dead. Hogan then drives off to find Bischoff. What a segment here, guys. Uh, they're telling me Hulk Hogan's the baby face, but attempted murder, and he tried to attack a woman.
2: Oh, God. Nate, do you want to take this? or I mean, I've got a lot to say on this one.
0: I think the biggest thing for me, Brian, man, is This is obviously something that Billy Kidman wanted. You know, we saw it on on the uh, big screen earlier. You know, he was taunting Hulk Hogan. He wanted this to happen. And then we saw when we came back from one of the commercial breaks or when we went to a commercial, uh, Eric Bischoff was in the parking garage with Kidman. So they had all this time, because it took Hogan a good 30, 40 minutes to find Billy Kidman. They had all this time to come up with a plan, and that's the best they got.
1: Yeah, like how about how about this? Leave the Hummer running. Just be ready for when he shows up because you don't know what it's going to be.
0: And how does the Hummer not start for Bizzo? <laughs> but it started for Hogan? Like I, I would, I needed, I needed a scene with Hulk Hogan like going under the hood and hot wiring the car.
2: I have one thought in particular, which is I can't believe you didn't notice because there was. Two heel performances in here. There was Kidman, who was the heel, there was Hogan who choked Tori, which is a heel move, but there was one heel that was even bigger, and it was the fucking graffiti on the dumpster. Did anyone see this? <laughs> anyone see what, what? this? What I saw some of it, but I don't I don't remember what what it said exactly. It said caffeine rush on the side, spelt C A F F I N E. For fuck's sake. And then it pans round to the other side. And guess what? It says caffeine rush again. C-A-F-F-I-N-E. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. It must have been a rib just for me. 15 years in the future. I was apoplectic. I was so mad. I had to pause it and go to the bathroom and stop because I was so pissed off. Even if it was
1: spelled properly, who the fuck would... Put that on there. Unless this is still marketing for Surge uh, no, from it. earlier in the year. Who oh. writes that on on a on a fucking Who's that's your graffiti that's your tag, tag is pro I caffeine.
2: I don't know Caf, uh, caffeine. I don't know. The other thing is one of the. Uh, I'm going to come back to this. No, I'm not. I'm going. I need to leave the graffiti alone before I get mad again. Uh, the other thing was like one of the rest. Uh, one of the uh, commentators said, um, "We don't wrestle anymore," and I'm like, "No fucking shit." Was like, <laughs> that was one of the quotes, of I can't remember who said it. I think it, it, Not Mark Madden, not Shivani. Who's the other guy? Uh, Scott, Hudson. Scott oh, Hudson. I think it was Scott Hudson. He's like, we don't wrestle anymore. I'm like, yeah, I know.
1: Well, you bring up a point there. This isn't necessarily uh, pegged to this segment, but Nate, you weren't here last week. Scott Hudson's now a part of this broadcast team. And I actually thought last week when Mark Madden got taken out pretty early in the show... I think Scott Hudson's a perfectly fine addition to this team. I mean, he, him and, he actually has maybe a little bit more credibility than Tony. I think he's fine. I mean, I, I don't think he uh, distracts or anything like that. I think it's actually a positive that we didn't spend too much time talking shit on the commentary team like we did uh, a couple months ago. What, what What are your guys' thoughts on Scott Hudson?
0: I, I've always liked Scott Hudson. To me, like him and, and Chris Cruz, like WCW had a deep roster of announcers. Uh, like I was never a fan of the the Mark Madden characters. We've addressed numerous times on this program. Uh, but I thought Taney was good. I thought Hudson was solid. Chris Cruz was pretty good. Uh, Tony had his spots. Uh, so yeah, I the the commentary other than Madden really never took me out of the show. And the crazy
1: thing was, over on Thunder, which was a, a far inferior show, you had Taney and Heenan were, was the broadcast team over there. <laughs>
0: I, I wish we had like a, you know, here you got the the SAP button where you can get the Spanish on your on your TV. I wish we had like a thunder button <laughs> during these nitros. We <laughs> you just push the button and hear Heen and Mittenay. That is a great idea. I would pay for that.
2: After
1: the break, Kidman is taken out of the dumpster and loaded onto a stretcher.
0: Oh, this looked like the the worst opening to an episode of ER ever. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, like, you're in County General and like and, uh, Peter Green's, like, talking to, uh, or Peter Benton's talking to Mark Green. And, like, we got a victim coming in from uh, the Rockford Arena. Uh He was putting a trash can and somebody ran into him three times with a hummer.
2: And you mentioned that. The victim, vi- he looks like the victim. He's supposed to be the heel, yep. the vicious heel, you know. And now he's, you know, he's been beaten up by this wife beater.
1: Yeah, no, he's been, uh, the shit has been beaten out of Kidman three weeks, uh,
2: or three confrontations in a row now. Not wife beater, sorry, woman beater. I should probably clarify that. (laughs) Woman beater, not wife beater. They're not married. Apparently. Respect her
1: agency, she is still a single (laughs) one. Okay. So it is main event time, Jeff Jarrett comes out first, and he waits for the mystery opponent. Uh, He knows who it is, but we don't know. Steiner Line then plays. Uh this is oh. two weeks in a row. Scott Steiner is using his 1980s theme song for some reason.
2: I, I don't know why. He came out to this last week. And
0: because it's great. Oh. He
2: did. Last week he came out to it as well. Cause I was just about to give out about that. That, you know, he's been coming out to the NWO theme and obviously the NWO and no more. And I was like, they've had a couple of weeks of this Russo thing, or so I thought for him to get him a different theme tune, something in the annals, something in the archives. There's always stuff lying about back there. But now you tell me that they did this last week as well?
1: Had we heard him use the Siren theme yet? Or had had, this, had he only been doing NWO at this point, Nate?
0: I think, yeah. I think he'd only been coming out to the NWO okay. theme at this point.
1: So, yeah, maybe he just didn't have an alarm, the alarm yet. But, no, yeah, he, this is two weeks in a row now he's been using this song. So
2: this might have been why they used it. Somebody must have had to have said something last week and just said, look, that you can't come out to stand around because it sounds ridiculous with your new gimmick. So maybe you should pick something just like a generic rock song or something. We've got loads. We've got a big library full of it. It's all free. You can pick something. You've got a week to choose and we'll find something. It'll be great. And then we'll start working on your proper song with the sirens and everything. Couldn't they have done that maybe or couldn't be bothered? Uh, maybe he just loves signerize
1: yeah.
0: uh that being said it i mean to be fair you can you can never get enough of the uh wcw slam jam uh album like that that to me is is so what lex luger is to chris <laughs> slam jam is to me we, we started rise and and man called sting don't step to Ryan, oh, yeah. ricky steamboat the family oh. man so many classes
2: did, did you get the rick rude one or was that a little bit too early
0: oh i think the rick rude one was on there uh oh,
2: that was my favorite <laughs> what was the lyrics? She simply, simply, ha- ravishing is happening. He look. He'll, he'll, no, hold on, no, bear with me a second. It was something about carving his body like Michelangelo or something like that. It, it was, the lyrics were sensational.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, 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 it wasn't Michelangelo. It was Mike Angelo. Oh, that's the one. <laughs> that was the line. It, it, it was yeah. It,
2: uh, it was it was his cousin, like Horace Hogan. <laughs>
1: so yeah all of this is just a roundabout way of saying Scott Steiner is the mystery opponent he is the US champion though as well so I guess he's trying to be a double champion Uh, Jarrett is reluctant at first to hand over the world title but he does and with that the NWO 2000 is dissolving in front of our eyes Steiner manhandles Jarrett with a clothesline and and an elbow drop Steiner picks up Jarrett and presses him over his head this is heel versus heel but the crowd is totally on Steiner's side here On commentary, Scott Hudson says, They're going to go past 10 o'clock. You know, put down that remote. They're going into overtime. Bold statement for a show that was only lasting four more minutes from this point. Steiner lands a (laughs) belly to belly suplex for a two count. Steiner attempts a German, but Jarrett kicks him between the legs. Jarrett locks in a sleeper hold, so Steiner responds with a low blow of his own. Steiner locks in the Steiner recliner. The announcers are selling the impending title change, but Booker T runs down and hits Steiner with an axe kick. That, of course, is enough for a disqualification here. A interference, I guess, is is the rule of thumb now. Booker grabs Jarrett and says, you're welcome, punk. Uh, In terms of a a main event, uh, this was not terrible i mean we talked shit about the terry funk uh, match earlier we talked shit about shane douglas's performance but overall for a 2000 nitro that didn't have a cruiserweight match or a tag match on it i gotta say overall i did not think the match quality was that bad on the show we didn't have any outright stinkers like we were having b- before so you know i thought this paid off the show long storyline relatively well while adding a little bit more intrigue at the end
0: yeah, i didn't have a problem with it other than the fact that again i feel it's t- Way too early to kind of be teasing seeds of dissent within the new blood, uh, but but in terms of a match, I, I thought it was fine. You know, you got two guys who are close to their prime, uh, and uh, you know the the Booker deal at the end was uh, intriguing because you know you already planted the seeds earlier with Booker kind of being the malcontent, uh, which which might be a little bit problematic considering like he's the only black dude in the group, uh, so he's got to be the guy. <laughs> It's already bucking authority. Uh but maybe that's just me reading into things. Uh, but no, I, I like I like the way it it played out and uh yeah, as far as this show and this match in the context of this show, it's it's not great, but it's it's a step up from what we've been getting.
2: Yeah, I agree with Nate on that one. I really like Booker's line at the end and his like little bit of always a little bit of tension with him and Jarrett. Um Scotty looked like a million bucks. I mean, you know, maybe that's Jarrett helping him out, or I don't know how injured Scott is at the moment, but he looked, I thought he looked great. That press slam that he did, where he just kind of forced him up. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Scott Steiner fan, but there you go. Maybe I'm just being a little bit uh, biased. We then cut
1: backstage where Hulk Hogan, no longer in his car, is running around trying to find Eric Bischoff. He does find him in a production room and chases him to the ring. Tony says that this is Bischoff's last night on Earth. He is promising a murder on live television. Hogan corners Bischoff in the ring. The crowd is chanting Hogan's name, and so he hits Eric Bischoff in the balls. What a what a great fucking whatever. So, Bruso heads to the ring with a bat, but Bret Hart shows up out of nowhere and shoves him aside, running past with a chair. Hogan sees Hart and keeps a hand on Bischoff. Hart swings the chair and... We cut to black in mid chair <laughs> swing. Um, I'm gonna give them an A for effort, for maybe in and on a cliffhanger, but an F for execution. Stuff like this, you just you just can't do it in front of the live crowd. There's a way to create tension, and this just isn't the way to do it. Um, I, was so in, I was more I was more interested it, in
2: what in what happens to the Hogan Bump Challenge.
1: That and I was just about to bring that up. <laughs> This would have been a third person getting some sort of offense if if Hart did, in fact, hit him with the chair. So what what do we want to say? That would have we given we want to you the bring win, Brian.
2: Out, you're giving me the win? Okay. No, no, that would have given on a second. That, that would give the me win. the win. Well, Brett Hart, we didn't so know whether what we Bret was going to do, hit Hogan or going to hit Bischoff. So that we're still on two. I think
1: we've got to pivot to Nate. Nate, what do you think? Because I I, I could introduce outside information
2: that would confirm what Hart did. Oh, I looked ahead. I looked ahead. I I looked ahead as well. I was wondering whether Hogan was going to take an actual bump if Brett did actually hit him. But, Nate, this is your call. Maybe Brett's going to swing at Bischoff.
0: So we'll like yeah Nate yeah like right 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 now it's like we've got a Schrodinger's chair shot <laughs> like we don't know whether whether he hits him or he doesn't hit him so we, we're in this gray area but judging by the context clues that I was given I'm gonna say this is Bret Hart coming off of NWO 2000 <laughs> I'm gonna say Bret Hart doesn't hit Hogan. So you're going to say it does not count. So Chris,
1: you are the winner.
0: Does not we count. We didn't see
1: it happen, so there you go. That is the ruling. Chris, congratulations. Composer of the HBC theme song has also won the HBC this week.
2: Thank you. And like people will think that that's set up, but it wasn't. Um, all I just want to say is first of all, thank you to everyone um, for giving me the opportunity to perform on the Hogan Bump challenge on the uh, on the on the anniversary of its theme music debut. Uh, also, just to quote Jesse bon- the Jesse the Body Ventura, if you don't see it, you can't call it. So, Bret Hart didn't hit Hogan, he didn't hit Bischoff, there was only intent, and I think Nate's call is the right one. Though the, the listeners are probably
1: wondering, well, what did happen? Who, who did Hart <laughs> hit? Well, there actually was no thunder that week, so you wouldn't find out. And then on the next week's Nitro, can you believe this, Nate? The show started with the announcer saying, we saw what happened last week, but who did Hart hit? Like, they weren't fucking there at ringside. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, if this had happened backstage, like, so if you did this, if, like, Bischoff and Eric, like, like Eric runs into a room and Hogan, you know, follows him in there and then Hart walks in with a chair and the door closes and we don't know... Like That, I, I can believe. But them in front of an arena of thousands of people and then the very people that were there the next week are going to tell me it's just so fucking backwards. <laughs> what, what essentially was happening here was that they wanted to set up a Bret Hart versus Hulk Hogan match. That was the big idea that Russo had. Completely forgetting the fact that Bret Hart had retired publicly two months earlier. So how is this all going to play out? We will find out in the coming months, though I think pretty much anyone listening to this knows with hindsight that uh, Bret Hart never has a match and never has a match again until 2009. So let's see how that all goes down. But with that, (laughs) that's the future. This is the current episode. Overall, I got to say, I mean, this is our silver lining. We're all going to say, one unqualified positive but before that just our general impressions of the show i gotta say this wasn't that bad of a show i i would actually say this was a general improvement from your average kevin sullivan show it was interesting there were show-long storylines there weren't so many things that made you scratch your head in that vince russo way a lot of things were were paid off overall i i enjoyed this
0: episode i would say yeah, this was still very much a Vince Russo show, but it felt like we slowed down a little bit. You know, we had two big storylines that were played out throughout the show. One being the secret challenger to Jeff Jarrett, and the other being the Hogan Bischoff Kidman stuff. Uh, and Sopranos ending aside, uh, and also despite the DDP fact- DDP
1: was just uh, he was he was uh, phoning it in the beginning. <laughs>
0: and despite the fact that uh your boy scott hudson lied to us because he said you know we we've got plenty of time folks we'll be <laughs> here all night uh never trust scott hudson is i guess the lesson uh, i thought this was a an overall a better show than last week uh where they just seemed to throw everything at the wall uh no pun intended tonight the only thing tables we did see the wall. some tables get yeah we saw some tables get thrown at the wall tonight uh but i thought the show slowed down uh there was some decent matches uh, and we had some some good segments like like the sting segment was really good the uh, opening segment despite a couple flaws was was did, it did what it needed to do so uh yeah overall on the rusev the rusev on the russo curve uh this was a good show
2: i mean i don't want to i don't want people to start thinking that i actually you know that i don't hate these stupid shows because I've been really positive <laughs> for the last two episodes that I've been on with you guys. Um, I do love a little bit of stupid shit in wrestling. Um, it's not what I would consider watching. You know, it doesn't, was not what I watch on my spare time. You know, I'm very much a, I prefer a little bit of, uh, you know, the seriousness, but I do like a little bit of silliness. And um, like I said at the start, and like Nate said, it was, it's a Russo episode. And, but its I think it's a motivated Russo episode because it's only his second week in the job and he knows he's not going to get fired yet so he's sort of like he's putting it together and he's putting efforts in and he's got fresh ideas that he's that he's just come off and maybe that's had a, had a bit of an effect it's, it had some bollocks in it and it had some stupid stuff and it had some grammatical errors but other than that you know what? I quite enjoyed it an hour and a half I had the storm in the background I was happy
1: so I guess rather than us doing our silver linings, we'll just kind of say what we like the best from this episode because we overall did enjoy some stuff from it. Um, I don't. I, for me, my runner-up's probably got to be Buff Bagwell's shirt. Oh yeah, uh, it was but glorious. in terms of in terms of an, of a number one, I actually quite enjoyed that Bischoff segment where he was backstage and we established a lot of. ...a lot of issues. We we had a, uh, a rising action in that scene where, okay, some of these New Blood guys are already pissed off, security is leaving, and he's got this issue with Hulk Hogan, and uh, I know you guys were kind of saying it, it's weird that this New Blood group is only around, it's their first week and there's already a dissension. I actually kind of like the fact that these guys, we've been kind of told all along, Bischoff and, Rus- and Russo aren't going to be able to get along. And while we don't have the outright wrestling heel thing, we are seeing that they're having a hard time executing this show, and that maybe this isn't such a good idea. And the new blood—it's—it's it's almost not to go full review America on us. It's kind of like how the Trump White House—we were like, "Oh, well, it's going to be like a functioning White House for like a little bit." It's like, "No, wait, these are incompetent <laughs> people, and it is fucked from the first day." And I kind of like that we're not even—we're not even playing that. Maybe these people can get along. No, there something is rotten in this new blood, and it's not gonna work. And I kind of like that. That's this. That's kind of the the page we're going from the very beginning.
0: Uh, I guess I'll piggyback off of that because uh, the two things I liked the most on this show were of Sting, of course. Oh, that segment was great. That was great. That yeah, just that. that just uh, you know just brought a smile to my my face and to my heart. Uh, but the other thing playing off of what you were talking about with the new blood was the use of Booker T on this show. Uh, he wasn't all over the show, but the two instances we got him, we were seeing that he was not mm. happy with this arrangement. And when he left the office, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it was intentional from Booker or just the way this scene played out, but when he left, it looked like, he was somewhat cool with Russo but not cool at all yeah, with Booker. There's right. totally a
2: bit of intrigue with Booker. Uh, so they're, they're, Definitely some intrigue there. with Booker all throughout the uh, the episode,
0: right? And then Yeah, and then, then you get the thing at the end with him saving Jared but also letting him know, you know, you owe me. Uh I, I thought that the, this character of Booker T, this guy that's uh almost been drafted into this army that he doesn't want to serve in. Uh, it, it's, it's got some potential, which I'm sure will be squandered. Uh, yeah,
1: it's really interesting. I mean, Booker kind of at the end of this all is maybe the one guy who does benefit the most from this uh, relaunch. But no, I, I thought where his character's at and the fact that Russo and Bischoff aren't just being treated as, uh, you know, you get that a lot in WWF where if two guys are stable mates or if they're partners, you can just sort of they're interchangeable. You know, you can just sort of – Stephanie and Hunter, they can just sort of like – they're mouthpieces for each other. They're on the same page all the time. I like that these two guys instantly – we're starting to see they both have different motivations. They have different issues. Uh, Bischoff and Jeff Jarrett aren't necessarily that close. And it seems like two guys that are being forced to be business partners uh, try to try to get along. Uh, what did you think, Chris? Uh, what was your, your silver lining for this episode?
2: Um, well, I mean – so the, the good things on the episode weren't, weren't really good enough for me to sort of like really highlight. Um, the things that I really, really enjoyed were the sort of like the more silly things. Um, I remember uh, when Tank Abbott came on the screen backstage, Mark Madden went, ah, which really made me laugh. Um, Luger makes me laugh. Um, Hogan saying son of a bitch in front of a table full of kids made me laugh. So I think those were the kind of like the highlights for me. Um, like. There wasn't anything on on the episode that is like wow, that's amazing, to where I would just like legitimately, genuinely highlight it, because there was no time for it to happen and things were moving a little bit too fast. Um, I agree. The uh, the Sting and Vampiro segment, I think, was probably the the highlight for me. in a sort of it, you know, if I'm being totally serious, if that had a few more extra minutes, then you know, we we might be still be talking about it. But um, other, other than that, to sum it up. I did have a good time watching it. And, you know, as much as I wanted to hate it and moan at you like I did the last time I was here, I can't.
1: Well, you also kind of dodged a bullet because David Arquette was on the previous week's Thunder, and he actually got physical. I was I was sort of surprised they never mentioned that. They never mentioned they there wasn't a recap. They didn't show footage of it. But David Arquette was on Thunder the previous week, and David Arquette will be on next week's Nitro. So... Chris, you, you dodged a bullet. Who knows? This could be this could be a, a lone shining was spot said that for us you were because get a, it, spot,
2: de- get a spot from David. I
1: assumed, I assumed because because <laughs> uh, he was on the Thunder before. I assumed, but no, I, I think next week is when he starts, and then I, if I'm not mistaken, Nate, I think next week's Thunder is when this man wins the world title. So that's that's oh on the goodness. horizon for us.
2: You, you, you lucky people! Yeah, you start you start to doing a you'll, you'll have to start doing Thunders now that's never happening but
1: chris thank you so much for stopping by (laughs) thanks for inviting Uh, me (laughs) i want to thank you oh yeah i want to thank you for for taking the time out to watch the show and and uh, talk about with us and of course giving us this great hbc theme song thank you so much
2: (laughs) thank you no i enjoyed it and if people want more of you in their life uh, where can they find you Um, well if they can spell my name then it's chris Ivanovich at twitter and instagram and all those kind of uh, deals
1: Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much again for stopping by, and thank you to listeners for stopping by. If this is your first episode checking us out, definitely go to the Law Pro Boards or FightNetwork.com. You can find our entire archives there. This is the 16th episode. The show was designed to be binged, so you can go back and get caught up fully. I think it I think it works. I think it lasts. I think it all comes together. But thank you so much for listening. If you want more from me, I am at Brian BrianMaxMan on Twitter and Instagram and all of those different places – I don't have a dog. It doesn't have its own Instagram account, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, But that's all I got to say. Nate, going to toss it over your way because that's how we wrap these things up.
0: Yes. uh, Well, thank you to the listeners for checking us out, as always. Uh, If you want to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter, in the number 8, M-O-Z-A-I-K, at Nate Mosaic on Twitter. Uh, And we'll be back with a, another episode of this wonderful social experiment. Want to send another shout out to Chris for joining us this week on the Satellite of Hate. And as we go into the week, I want to leave us with the words of uh, Carlos Santana and the product B from their hit song Maria Maria and tie it back into this, this week's edition of Nitro. Stop the looting. Stop the shooting. Pickpockets on the corner. See the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. I see Maria on the corner thinking of ways to make it better. But in the mailbox, there's an eviction letter signed by Terry Bolea saying, see you later. Any given time, I could become the WCW champion. That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this. this, this.